Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. This is your captain speaking. This is Open Mike Eagle. This is another episode of uh, Secret Skin. Uh, season 2, episode 6, I think. I don't know. Losing count. Maybe 7. I'm not good at numbers. And I've done some things to complicate the numbering for this season that would not matter to you at all. But I'm Open Mike Eagle, and this is my interview show. And on this um, week's episode, I'm talking to my old friend, Psalm One. We went to high school together. We started rapping around the same time. We were in a crew in high school. She went on to have her own legendary indie career uh, with Rhyme Sayers um, and independent releases. And she's wrote a book about her whole ass life like it's so much about her whole ass life that i'm in the book because uh i was part of her life um it was a fascinating read for me as you'll hear in our conversation as well because uh i don't think i've ever read the autobiography of a human that i've known before and um it's just amazing to see the life of someone who you've been so close to um laid out like that in a big old book, um, you know, moments in life that I was around for to see them written out on a page um, and to see how many similar experiences her and I have had uh, trying to make it in this weird uh, mind fuck of an industry. Um, and then a load of experiences she's had that I know nothing about. Um, so that's coming up. That's the conversation. Uh, conversation I was very happy to have. Um, this is Secret Skin on the Stony Island Audio Network. Shout out to all of my podcasting brethren on the Stony Island Audio Network. Super Duty Tough Work, Dad Bod, Rap Pod, Fatherhoods Podcast, Creativity, Captivity of Questions, Trivia, uh, The Raw Report with Dice Raw. I'm sure I'm missing somebody because I always do. But, um, I want to say a quick rest in peace to Jack Knight. Comic Jack Knight, who uh, I'd done a million shows with, been to a million events with, and was just like one of the realest dudes, passed away over the weekend. Um, the comedy community here in L.A. is is definitely still in shock at his passing. Um, but just wanted to take a moment to say rest in peace to him, sending love to his family, sending love to the community around here who's um, suffered a loss. Um, I just got back from tour and I am, my whole body's tired, not just my arms, my legs and feet and, and tongue and chest and jaw uh, from rapping, okay? It's all, I'm very tired. Um, we had some shows get, canceled in the midwest because of a little bug called covid um but shout out to ajj great band and we opened up for and we had some fun times in their tour van touring around the country doing the shows we actually got to do um so shout out to them it was a it was a nice little run and it ended with a show in new york that was super cool uh it was one that i headlined by myself and then a uh, fat boy sharif was on there shout out to sharif shout out to video dave um, shout out to Rob who edited the audio on this episode. Shout out to Will who edits the video that you all see for all of the uh, secret skin stuff. Like, rate, and subscribe and review. 
I know that's a lot of work, but you only got to do it once, I think. Um, this, uh, this entertainment's free. It's in your phone already. If you want to support it, uh, you can join my Patreon, patreon.com slash openmikeeagle. Um, another way you can support the show is uh, we give out codes for stuff, for free trials and things and the ads. Um, take advantage of that stuff. It helps the show. I'm Open Mike Eagle. This is going to be my conversation with Psalm 1. And um, yeah, I guess that's it. Talk soon. Psalm 1. What's going on, Crystal Mike? Crystal Bowen. That's my name. It is. I know, right? You wrote a whole ass book. It's kind of thick, too. That book is a thick boy. That's a thick boy. It's like yes. 300 some odd pages. Yeah. 280 with the formatting. And then I'm sure stuff got edited out. It was probably much more than that at some point. Yeah, like I edited out, actually. Like, with, of all the cringe moments in the book, there's so much more that got edited out. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't imagine. I mean, 300 pages, a yeah. book about your life. Yeah. I mean, that's got, that's like giving birth. Like, it's a lot. What did it feel like to, to get that out? It's like cathartic, and then you, cr and then I cried quite a bit, and then I was like, "Dude, what did I do? Right. <laughs> like, what have I just done? What did I just write?" Um, so I had to take a couple mental health breaks, even while editing this thing. And then, and then at one point, I was like, "Is this how arrogant is this? You know?" Because I've actually been asked the question, like, "Isn't this a little premature for a memoir?" I'm like, "There's so much life. Not only that, I did not put in this book, right. but there's a lot of life left to live." Mm -hmm. So I, I thought that this was a good place to put like a marker because just my my career, my life, my mentality is just so much different than the years that I'm speaking of in, in the book. It's all the emotions because there's stuff in there that my family doesn't know, you know. So there's a lot of conversations, even with my partner. Me, me and my partner have been <laughs> having conversations like... It'll be like, so I just read this one <laughs> part, and I just didn't know that about you. And I'd be like, oh, okay, let's talk about it. I mean, it's it's been such a wild experience for me to read because mm -hmm. we went to high school together. We were in a crew together. We yeah. both entered this business. There's so many parts in the story that, like, I was there for that. Yeah. So I have that experience of things, and then the other side of it is to be so close but then there's so much i didn't know yes you know like yeah. even going back to high school there's just so much stuff i didn't know it's yeah. like it's like mind-blowing like i didn't know relay was your locker partner i don't know how i didn't know that he was not my locker partner he was next to me he was my locker ah, neighbor okay so like yeah so we gotta tell people who relay was so like that's that's an important person in our lives yeah he was to, to me he was a he was a year above us right and he he was like one of the first people who had a crew at Whitney Young that I knew about that. Right. And I feel like maybe you knew about exactly. too. So it was like our first, we were like the junior version of that crew. And, um, <laughs> you know, I didn't put it in a book, but we smooched one time. What? Yeah. Podcast exclusive. Relay and song one smooched Like get it, get it, get it. Exclusive. Exclusive. <laughs> But yeah, we we it was so innocent, but it was something that I would like never forgot. I was like, I love this moment. Like, oh my god, <laughs> hip hop forever. You know what I mean? So yeah, I mean, yeah. He, was, he was he was one of our first mentors, like one of those first people who made this like something we could really do because he was yeah. close to us and really doing it, really proficient at things like really good breaker. Yeah, really good at tagging, really good at rapping. Right. And was just kind of nonchalant about, about it all. everything. <laughs> Those would be the best ones, though. Yeah. They'd be like, I don't want to do this. They'd be like, but you're the best rapper I've ever heard in my life. They're like, eh. 
<laughs> I'm gonna go do something else. You know, I was struck by this image that you uh, outlined in the book of you doing like intense studying, like while your mom was also studying. My experience in high school was that I fell off of being studious in high school. Like we found all our hip hop shit, and that's all I ever wanted to <laughs> it's fucking like this, think I'm about. I'm studying this. Thank exactly. you. Exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. What was it like trying to balance like these creative arts that were so exciting and thrilling and opened up this whole world to us? Uh, how did you balance that with being able to like maintain focus? Right. Uh, can I just say I was really smart, I guess? Like these, the Whitney Young wasn't too terribly hard. School didn't get hard for me until college because I was kind of in accelerated programs the whole way. So Whitney Young wasn't like too, 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 too terrible for me, like as far as studying. I didn't get straight A's or anything, but it wasn't very hard for me to stay on top of my schoolwork. And I was over, like I was, like I say in the book, I was quite sheltered and overprotected. So me, like, Studying something else other than my schoolwork was like, yes, this is my, this is the way for me to honestly relax. So music was always like a, my mom wasn't too, like she didn't censor too much as far as music in the crib. So music was like a great escape, you know. But was it hard not to get swept up into the world of all of that hip hop shit that was going on all around us? Like, I mean, see, for me, right. I didn't have much of like social identity until that shit. So like it really, it really dragged me away. Like I didn't, you know. Yeah. And and I'm I'm wondering, did you have to, did you have to fight against that or? I, you... I wanted it. Yeah. I wanted it because it was just different. And I'm as an only child, like at the crib, that that was like for me. Once I knew like y'all were into it, and then once I knew that like HPK existed, mm -hmm. and like the this was this was like just a whole new world for me to like drown in and it actually like helped me study other types of music like you know you know like yeah. sample digging and right. all that stuff like that now we know that like oh this is like <laughs> the building blocks of why people will call us great you know or the reason why we can talk about music in a certain way is because we really did grow up with it in our households so for me it was just kind of like Music was a great escape for me to not be just studying all the time because I was expected to get good grades after a while. Just being at Whitney Young, it's kind of like it's expected now. So once I understood the foundation of, you know, how to make that happen, it was like the forbidden fruit of like hanging out past, you know, bedtime right. and listening to music that, you know, my mom wouldn't approve of. That was like everything. So, mm. yeah. In college, there was a place that you went to rhyme and got known at. It's called the Black House. Mm -hmm. And I'm obsessed with shit like that because yeah. I went to SIU and we had a place called Culture down there. Same shit. Mm -hmm. uh, it's at this lady's apartment, but we all used to get together and rap and people used to do open mic poetry or yeah. sing or whatever the fuck it was. Get off. Yeah. And it's just, it just struck me how important places like that are for like developing rappers. Tell me a little bit about your experience at the Black House. It was dope because... U of I was so white. Mm. And it was so new, too, because it was just like, okay, we just went from Whitney Young, where it was like 2,000 of us, to like, now we're down here, it's 20,000, and only 2,000 black people. Same numbers at SIU. <laughs> yeah, like 10% yeah. minority, you know, mostly black, you know, and... um it was something where we, by the time we left Whitney Young, we were like rappers. Right. But at, at U of I, there were rappers, but everyone was spread up spread out, no one knew who anyone was, and the quad was where we would get off. And then once we find found Peppa's, which was the weekly event that they had at the Black House, and it was really a poetry event, but right. 
Once rappers found it, it was just like, this is poetry. You know, the rappers always come with the, no, Tupac was a poet, therefore I am He too. was the rose that grew from concrete. <laughs> and all the, all the poets are just like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, here they come. But um, yeah, we just kind of infiltrated this Peppa's thing. And like, during the week, it was, you know, you would go read books that the black people say you should read, you know what I mean? <laughs> And you can have, you know, resources and like uh, there are some counselors and stuff, but we really used it as a as a way to kind of sharpen our swords right. and just kind of see where the talent was. Because every week it would be a like new minority who rapped and then we'd be like, wait, hold on, hold on. Shout out to Tere, La Tere, you know, just understanding that like, okay, we're not the only ones who rap because at Winnie Young, we were the only one. We're right. just like, well, you rap, you rap, you rap, you rap. You kind of rap sometimes and then you <laughs> rap. But, you know, in college, it was great to have the Black House there because we have these huge ciphers. And then there'd always be some new, amazing, you know, rapper of color right. who came around and we'd be like, damn, okay, cool. Do you have room in your life for like a spot like that now, if you, if you were to think about it? I would absolutely do it. I know that things like clubs and restaurants and things like that are just so extremely hard, especially now with this new, brave new world we're in, <laughs> you know. But I would absolutely do it because I have a, a space. And even with the survivor work I do, having a safe space to even talk about some of these issues and then, you know, cultivate talent to bring in like the young and down the block who's like killing everybody in the cypher effortlessly. Like, what do you want to do with that? Or even just staying out of trouble. You know what I mean? Open mics, you know, after after a while, you know, I think performers don't necessarily think about doing those. But for like millions of artists, that's where they get their starts, right. you know? And that's what Pep, that was the Black House. That was our open mic, you know? It's interesting that you brought up Safe Spaces for the Youth. One of the through lines of your book is how much you've enjoyed and been fulfilled by working with kids. And that was another thing that's really funny for me because... All of my day job work after college was the same thing. I always worked with youth. What do you think that brought to your life that, you know, like the music industry wasn't providing for you? What, what, did, what did working with kids do for you? It made me a better writer because when I worked with kids, a lot of it was helping them make raps. So it made me a better writer, helped me not to, you know, curse so much or to really understand, like, what am I using this curse word for? Is it filler or is it like is it is it artistic or is it just because I need to a two-syllable word right? you know what I mean um but also it taught me patience but the reason I love working with kids so much is because the first time I was ever fortunate enough to tour overseas I was crying on the train you know like it's so beautiful I'm a kid from the hood and I be rapping I'm here you know those moments yeah. where you just be like damn like I really did something you know and I remember meeting kids overseas who found out I was a rapper from Chicago and they were like, you know, all they cared about was like violent stories or, you know, more street rappers. And for me, I was like, damn, like hip hop needs better role models. And for me, I was like, I'm ne not necessarily the best role model, but I knew that there's a kid that's going to read my book and that, that kid's going to be like, I won't say changed or whatever, but I read certain books by like, like queer authors like uh, April Sinclair that talked about being like a queer artist and I was a kid and it changed my life. So for me, I want to be that rapper that's just different, you know, that actually, you know, does make a living at this stuff, but isn't, you know, 
isn't the chain, chain swinging, you know. I got my little necklace, you know what yeah. I'm saying? I'm, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, get it, get it. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, just having that sort of academic background, having that background that, yes, I am, I am from, like, impoverished neighborhoods and all that stuff, just being present. Mm-hmm. I think that's more powerful than any, like, messaging I can give to the kids. But just being present and being available, that was always, like, a big deal to me because hip-hop is not, like, the best role model, you know? Great outlet. Yeah. Not the best, you know, depending on where you're looking for yeah, it. lifestyle-wise. Yeah, yeah. It's not giving a lot of great uh, <laughs> options out, at least not visually. Yeah. Now, there's a story in the book that I, I would like you to retell as best as you best you can because— Okay. And, and, you know, just go read the book, people. Yeah, read the book. Go read the book, people. But there's this, <laughs> there's this one story. I just love it so much. Aside from working with kids, when you graduated, you graduated with chemistry degree, so you mm-hmm. started working in a lab. Yeah. And one day, people found out that, that you a were a rapper. Yeah, yeah. Could you retell that story? <laughs> um, I was moonlighting. And I was moonlighting hard because when I first graduated from college, I just I start, I did like a couple shows with Nacrobats. I was like, I'm going to be a rapper full time. And I was making no money, like zero, <laughs> zero money. And, and Making I, drink tickets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Taiwan was like, you got to get a job, bro. Like, <laughs> he was just like, you, you have to. You're going to have to. If you really want rap to be a thing, you have to put it down for a while and get a job and then you can come back to it. Great advice. I took it. Being the arrogant person I was, I wanted a job in chemistry. Mm-hmm. Took me about nine months to find that. And then I was just kind of like, I'm going to work until I don't have to work here anymore. Right. Until I can literally just do music full time. I'm just going to put my head down. And now it's different. People get different advice now for jobs. But in 2000, like, Three, four is just like, don't tell your boss that you're a rapper. Are you crazy? You know what I mean? Like, they might not even give you the job knowing that you're an artist that might want to try to even, like, blow, you know? So I was very secretive about that part of my life, you know? And uh, (laughs) I came in one day after a show. I didn't even know that I had made any press. So I get to my cubicle one early morning. There's a there's a big article with my face on it. Me, Pugsley, Ty, it's like a big Nacrobats photo. And there's a big ass circle around my face <laughs> and arrows pointing at my face going, Crystal, is this you? And I was like, oh man. And as soon as I got to my cubicle, a couple more scientists came around. I was like, is this you? Are you a rapper? Oh my God. I was just like, yeah, guys, <laughs> the rumors are true. Like what? Like it. And for me, it was just like, damn, my cover's blown. And also, you don't know. You don't know where hate come from. You know what I'm saying? Like somebody that don't don't even rap, never rapped in their life, might be like, "Oh, why they a rapper?" It's like, "Well, I've been rapping." You know right. what I'm saying? Like, so for me, it was trying to cut down on people knowing that part of my life. For my bosses not to think that possibly I'd be trying to quit or something. Right. You know what I mean? I wanted that job security to have people think I'm like, "This is the only thing I do. I work and go home." <laughs> but yeah, that was a wild uh, expose there. Everything did, was different after that. Yeah, day. how did it change your? your experience in that workplace after people found out? Some people were really cool about it. Some people wanted to cipher. It was like, come on now. At like, job? Yes. You know it's always a nigga that want to cipher <laughs> at the job. Come on, man. Like, oh, we go back behind the coolers. Like, no. I'm not going to do my experiments and go home, my bro. Like, well, no, we're not doing that. Um, some people were, you know, they wanted to support. They wanted to buy music. Some people just didn't really talk to me anymore. It was really? Like, yeah, just kind of like, hmm, she got some other shit going on, you know? Yeah. And and that's what it is. Like, some sometimes people, 
I hate the word hate, but like sometimes people will give you that energy, not because they don't like you or not necessarily because you're taking food out of their mouths or anything. It's just something that they can't really, couldn't grasp for themselves, couldn't even fathom for themselves. Right. So for you, it's like they can fathom even less, you know? I, I have a theory about that. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, it kind of dovetails what you were saying about whether or not you let people know at work that you got something else to do. I've always called it the uh, the Clark Kent theory. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Because nobody really wants to work with Clark Kent because mm -hmm. he kind of making a fool out of everybody all day long, <laughs> like with these dumbass glasses <laughs> and this and this suit. And we all know you got somewhere else to be. Yeah, Clark. yeah, yeah. Like, come on, man. <laughs> right? like, come on. Like, I'm not stupid. Don't insult my intelligence. All right? We all know you just flew in right now. <laughs> Like, Sweat, sweaty as hell. <laughs> right. So, you know, and I think I think that's a similar experience that people face when they have passions outside of work. Mm -hmm. Like, because if you show that, then people are like, oh, like, okay, so what My what is my life then? Mm -hmm. Like, if, a little mirror if, action. It shouldn't even is, be that It shouldn't way, be. But it's like, know? if this is all that I have, how come that ain't enough for, for yeah, Crystal? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why she needs some other shit to do? Yeah, yeah. It is weird. It's a weird, it's a weird thing that people... You know, they project those fears and insecurities. And, 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 and sometimes they don't even know they're doing that, you know. And sometimes we don't even know that they're doing that. So I think for me, being secretive about certain things back then was me, in a way, like protecting myself, mm -hmm. you know. But it ended up being all right. I left that job when I was supposed to leave. Speaking of being secretive, there's a few through lines in the book. I mean, it's just amazing to watch somebody's life on paper like that. And to really see it all laid out and imagine how difficult it had to be to confront a lot of it. You know, one of the through lines is your relationship with drugs, right? Like that's something that you contend with at many points during the book. You know, if I remember correctly in the book, you said it, you know, you really started experimenting with that like, was that like right after high school? Uh, college, right in after college. college. Like right after college. Yep. And then as the touring happened more, it was like easier. Right. Yeah. The the funny thing for me reading that was, you know, and I guess I wasn't around too much at that time because I split to L.A. after college. But, like, I never saw any of that. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Hiding. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Like, so, you know, uh, in, a, in a sense, you were secretive about that. Did you feel like you needed to keep that away from, like, your hip-hop friends? Or did, is, is well, that something see, that you were conscious about? Your hip-hop friends change, you know, as your your vices change. At the beginning, none of my hip hop friends would ever touch anything harder right. than like, you know, weed, maybe shrooms or something. You right. Know? You know, lots of people are alcoholics that don't know they're alcoholics <laughs> because, you know, drinking is something that we, we all do and it's sort of like more socially acceptable, but it's so dangerous. Yeah. Um, I never felt like I had a problem with alcohol because I suffered from migraines and didn't really understand how the, you know, the migraines and the alcoholism like fed into each other. And for me, it was um, having to learn a lot of health lessons with that, just the migraines alone. But as far as the the drugs, it was like, yeah, I kept it, I kept it from like nacrobats. Right. You right. know, because I remember Ty was like, what, you messing with that? I was like, no. And then so, <laughs> so it was like for years. So right. I like never, never around them. And it never really had an issue where I needed it or anything. It wasn't until, you know, later on, like around um, around those Tanya chapters. Right. Where, where yeah, I got to say that right now. Anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, it wasn't until those relationships where it became more of a daily thing and more of a thing where it's like, 
oh, wow, like, I'm late to this thing. I'm late to this work thing. I'm late to this show because huh. I'm hungover or right. because I party too much. Like, none of that was happening until, like, later on. So it was very easy for me to, like, party here and there. And, like, that was it, you know? It was, like, dabbling in it. But it wasn't until later on where it was becoming like, no, we got it. We, it's on us. We're doing this. Mm -hmm. You know? Speaking of Tanya, mm -hmm. <laughs> there's plenty of people in this book whose names you've changed. But sure. since I said, I, I, you know, I've been there for some of this journey. Like, <laughs> so you're like, I know who that is. Yeah. And there's a lot, there's a lot of like, oh, I know who that is. Yeah. Um, and so it stands to reason that these people probably also recognize who they are sure. in the book, too. I mean, have you experienced that with anybody who's read anything so far? I mean, you wouldn't have to say who, but I'm, I'm curious what that experience has been. Because you're putting your experience of things in the book, but yeah. ultimately that's just going to be your side of the story. Yes. No matter how objective, yes. you know, Yes, it, and I do, and I preface that yeah. all through the beginning, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm like, you know, some of these names have been changed to protect not only me, but them. Right. Some of this stuff is embarrassing, not only for me, but them, you know? And then there's some people who are just like, they didn't need to be specifically mentioned because it was a bigger point to be made. No one from my past whose name has been changed has confronted me in any way that uh, other other than like love, you know? Right. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised if I had to have some super difficult conversations, but I would imagine that that's what this book was able to do is open the door for possibly having these conversations because... Um, while I was in it, you know, I made uh, so many mistakes too. So it's, this is what accountability is. You know, this book isn't me just like blaming my failed relationships on the other person or blaming like my issues with labels on the label. Like I step up and say like, these are the things that I like messed up with too. And I'm sure that there are other things that I haven't mentioned or haven't acknowledged that I could probably learn from having some of these conversations. So... No, no, I'm not. I'm not afraid of any of the stuff that's gonna come up because it it did happen, um, and I do know that I was high for some of these things. Right. So you might have a distorted perception of some of it, but I was very, very careful to not only um, do my research in my own life, make phone calls, be like, "Yo, what year was that? Did that right. really happen? Did it happen that way?" Right. And then also understand that like some of that, some of the stuff that I wasn't quite sure of, I left out. And yes, a lot of it is my feelings and my interpretation of what happened. And I know. And there's a lot of wounds really laid bare. Yeah. Do you feel you're at a place now where you're like emotionally ready for any of those past relationships to be hashed out or, or talked about? Like, do yeah, you Yeah, I can like, talk. I don't know if, you know, like the 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 one of the biggest ones in the book. I don't know if I ever be friends right. again. Yeah, and I don't but, think, yeah, yeah. I think friends talk, will be far fetched. But talking and being like, look, I was fucked up in these ten or fifteen ways. I apologize, mm -hmm. you know, because I was quite a handful. You know what I mean? <laughs> like I'm definitely not the easiest partner to be partnered with. You know, and I think that's a thread with a lot of artists. You know, so especially touring ones. For me, yeah, I'm totally, I'm totally able to do that. Not only was the boycott that I was a, you know, I was involved with in 2020, it kind of opened the door for a lot of those conversations to be had. Right. You know, a lot of those conversations were having being had behind the scenes and a lot of accountability on my end had to be. I can't, I can't sit and be like, 
y'all are terrible. And then somebody's like, you were terrible too. And I'm like, what do you mean? You know? <laughs> How <laughs> so, dare you? Yeah. It's like, it's so stupid and one-sided to even think that like, you didn't make mistakes as well. Mm -hmm. You know, so I'm oh, ready. So much. You talk about partnership. And I think that's another strong through line of the book. I think if you look at your creative output, it's always been tied to partners or a producer or somebody that you're able to trust and get in the studio with and make magic. And and then, you know, you have your romantic partnerships that are a big part of your story. Putting it all out there like that and seeing it all, what has that taught you about the importance of partnership? How good it is to be like someone who is an active listener and someone who is constantly working on themselves. Because it's just like being partnered, like you want to be a good one, whatever that means, you know, whether it's being a better friend, a better partner, like romantically, a better business partner, you know, it's kind of taught me to like, dang, like I made all these mistakes. I want to make new ones now, you know, like more sophisticated mistakes. Right. You know, I'm still going to make them. Only new mistakes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, let's not, let's not do this again. Like, uh, understanding like reading some of the things I wrote was like really intense and like there were plenty of times where I had to stop writing and cry or stop reading the edit back and cry, you know what I mean? Because it was something that was really intense and really, you know, hurtful. There's a lot of hurt, hurtful stuff in the book that like writing it helped me get through it, you mm. know? And it was like, oh man, like, you know, sometimes I know probably some of the raps that you've written in the past, you you hear them later and you're like, I was really like right. talking about my own life. I was really like prophesizing, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? So for me, I've realized that my words are as powerful as I've always thought that they are. I'm going to read this book in like five years and like cringe it for different reasons, <laughs> you know? Now I'm just like, yeah, ooh, that was bad. You know what I mean? Like, but for me, it it's it, it, it increases my faith, you know, and my faith not only in myself, but in God, whatever God is, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not like super... Not super Christian, you know, even though I talk about that so much in the book, but you know, I really do believe in God because I got through some of this stuff. Right. I'm like, yo, God gotta exist. Cause I didn't, I didn't, I didn't <laughs> I I pull myself it, out of right? this one. Like, what, you know, so if you can think of one, like what is an example of something that specifically writing about it and reading reading it back like helped you get through? Reading the stuff about Letting rhyme sayers go for real to the point where it was like, I'm never going to make another song with them in mind. I spent <laughs> so long so making years. songs and records with them in mind. Right. And when I was able to like really understand like the power of what I did with my album Flight of the Wig, which was the first album that I ever that I ever made since like the Overflow stuff, right. since the Nacrobat stuff. That was the only stuff that I had made where it was just I'm doing this for me. From the producers to the to the budget <laughs> to the look to everything is gonna be for me, and that's like to this to this day it's one of my biggest like selling you know Bandcamp titles, which it means more to me than right. Spy. That, those are numbers I care about Bandcamp numbers. So that's like one of my best selling albums, and it's just a reminder that like do this shit for you, do not do this shit for nobody else. That is so powerful to hear you say because. Again, I've known you for a long time. I've been around so many parts of this journey, and I I was there at times when like your relationship with that record label was absolutely fucking like it was unmanageable, like psychologically, like like you saw me melt at I, South by one I, year. I, I did. Like, I was just like, I I'm did. gonna go cry, but you ain't gonna see it. I mean, you know? <laughs> but I but I could 
feel it all. Like, mm-hmm. like I remember when you got signed. Like, I remember like yeah. how momentous that was. Like, and 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 to to go from that to you being in this position where they have what feels like all of the keys to your success, mm-hmm. and they're not turning them, yeah, and you not, don't know why, yeah. and they're not talking about keys it. Keys rotting on the ring, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and. I don't know. It's it's really amazing to hear that it sounds like you have been able to claim your creativity back mm-hmm. from that. Because that doesn't seem like the thing that a lot of people would be able to work through. Like no. to have that uh, in front of you and then to have it, you know, exist in such a untouchable and unknowable way as it's as you're watching, you know, and trying to adapt your your career to yeah to everything, everything that's going is changing. on, yeah, and mm-hmm. it's it's just it's really amazing to hear that like you've been able to take that back. Yeah, thank you. I mean, it's lots of therapy. You know, I had to step away from rap. I had to completely humble myself, and I had to understand that like, okay, what what did you want out of this? These were questions that I asked myself when I wasn't really making music. It was like. Why did you start making music in the first place? And what you wanted in 98, you know? It's not the same thing. But did I get it? Mm, what did you want in 98? I just, well, in 98, I wanted to be able to rap over any beat. I feel like I could check that off. Right, 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 you know right. what yes. I mean? You, you've you know, over Ludacris every can beat. bring me the frog beat. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Yo, what, was that Method Man? That was, was Method Man and Red Man. That was their prank show. Bring yeah. me that frog beat. Tear that frog beat up. That's uh, hilarious. So that's what, that was the first thing I wanted. And one, and then the, the biggest thing I remember, I, I wanted walking around U of I when I was making my first music. I wanted people checking for me. Mm-hmm. I was like, if I put out an album and niggas like want to hear it, yo, that's dope. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Yeah, check, check. I wanted to, uh, when I first signed, I wanted to travel. Got it. Mm-hmm. But then I wanted, you know, my label to like not ignore me and things right. like that or to like, you yeah. know, not give my opportunities to other artists. That wasn't things that I got. Yeah, but that wasn't, that wasn't on the Christmas list. <laughs> you know, not yeah. to be tokenized, things like that. Like, you know, but... I've learned, if anything, I've learned anything, it's about be careful what you ask for. And right. then when you get it, it's not necessarily what you think it's going to look it's, like. It's never, it's never, it never looks like how it's going to look or how it looked in your head. Yeah. It never looks like that. It always takes some other shape. And I was bad at not recognizing what I had. So now when I look around, I'm I'm so super grateful. You know what I'm saying? Like, even to be sitting here with you, you know, like we've been knowing each other since yeah. we were like, what, 14? Yeah. Like nigga, we old now. It's crazy, yeah, right? We still yeah, fourteen doing... to forty-one. Yeah, that's yep, yep. Um, one thing that resonated with me reading, especially like in your youth, you seem to describe yourself as kind of like overachiever, mm-hmm. um, being really good in school, really enjoying like the praise and positive attention sure. that comes from like getting good grades and meeting people's expectations in yeah. that way. And like me, you come away from that experience in like grade school, high school, feeling like I can do whatever the fuck I want to do. I can be any, president right, for I sure. Can do whatever the fuck. <laughs> like for that part of you that's an overachiever, like how has it been to like try to navigate a music industry that's so hard? You know, if if you felt like you could do anything and then you, you know, you enter an industry where you just get no's a lot of the time. Like yeah. what what was your experience like with that? Good question. I spent about six months with my therapist about just this <laughs> because I realized I was fast tracked. Whitney Young, we right. were all fast tracked. Didn't really get hard for college until sophomore year. 
um, and was able to overcome that, you know, and still get my degree in what I wanted to get my degree in. And then to come home, have a shrink-wrapped and barcoded CD, which actually put me ahead of the curve, right. um, had me in a lot more mom-and-pop stores, you know, really being fast-tracked with Nacrobats, with Pugsley, mm -hmm. and then getting signed, it was like, oh shit, like I'm really that nigga, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. And then like maybe two years into that being like, wait, hold on, wait a second. <laughs> Am I not that nigga? <laughs> and then it went to like, damn, I'm not that nigga. What does that mean for my whole life? Right. Like, And then after, you know, saying what I said about the label in 2015 and then having people being like, oh, yo, you really not that nigga. Damn, <laughs> like okay. you're not only not that nigga, you... That's career suicide. Like, what the fuck are you doing? You know that. You know that's a. I guess a would be a fall from grace or something like that. But it wasn't really. It was more in my own mind where I was just like, I put so much stock into what other people were saying about me that when it wasn't like I wasn't succeeding or excelling at the rate that I was used to, I didn't. It was a culture shock. Right. It was a shell shock. I didn't know what to do. So I froze a lot of the time and became bitter. Mm -hmm. You know, like it was like a, I always say like with the camera and shit, like you mad. And then it like something switched where it's like, you can't be mad. One of the most liberating things I realized is when I wrote my article, my Medium article before the book, like, no, I was mad. Right. You was and being able to say, No, you hurt my feelings. Right. And, that's, rapper, and that's worth something. Like, yes. Telling a rapper, no, you hurt my feelings. Now what? what? Now what? Do we still need to battle? You hurt my feelings as a person. You said some dumb shit to me as a person. We don't need to rap about this. Right. Be a person, you know? So being able to say, I was mad, I was bitter, I'm looking at certain rappers like, ugh, you know what mm -hmm. I'm saying? And and being like bothered, but understanding that I was bothered and going to get some talking to that lady about it. <laughs> <laughs> I went to talk to the lady and I talked to God and I really under, tried to understand how privileged am, am I to be like, oh, my life is over because I didn't blow up as a rapper. Think about that. That's a crazy sentiment. That is a crazy ass thing to think you're a failure in life because you didn't blow as a rapper when that is a weird, wild, very already kind of worked out for us thing. Mainstream rap and being a celebrity and being like a pop culture, like, you know, famous person that is making money too. And like, that's, that's a whole different area and being like a pop culture, like, you know, famous person that is making money too. And like, that's, that's a whole different area that if you're not even like working to do that, why would you feel entitled to it? You know? And if you're not like the best indie rapper that Pitchfork loves this year, is that the worst thing that could ever happen to you in your life? Far from it. Like, come on, <laughs> like how arrogant to right. think like, oh, I'm nobody because, you know, I didn't get on this festival this year. That's wild. And so many of us think yeah, that we way. Yeah, we do. I was, so many of us think that uh, way. When I, when I got to the part of the book where you were talking about the rise of Nicki Minaj, mm -hmm. like that really resonated too because you end up touching on something that I struggle with a lot, mm -hmm. which is professional fucking jealousy. Mm -hmm. Like, Because you can be proud of niggas and still be like, damn, I'm jealous. Right, exactly. <laughs> I, I mean, like, to the point where I've had to make some really radical changes lately in how I think because I realized how much me not wanting to deal with those feelings has held me back mm -hmm. from, like, enjoying people's work. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Too, like Too busy studying. Exactly. About it, yeah. Exactly. So, you know, and, and, and you, you've kind of been speaking to this, but I just wanted to make, make it a little more acute. Like, mm -hmm. you know, what has your journey with professional 
jealousy been? I mean, because it's, it's, it's just really hard in yeah. this business not to like look at what the next person's doing. Mm -hmm. you know? I'm not going to name no names. I'm not going to do that. But I was definitely, there are some, some women rappers that when they came out and, well, with Nikki, yeah. we'll start with Nikki. I saw the, I saw the support she was getting. Right. And I remember I took it to the label. And he was like, you ain't no damn Nikki. I was like, well, you're not Birdman, you know? <laughs> what are you talking about, you know? But at the same time, I was really jealous of just the support she was getting. And I think that that's really what it is at the core of it sometimes. Like, why are they getting something I'm not getting? Because a lot of times rappers are so arrogant about their skills. Like, okay. I mean, Nicki Minaj is a fantastic and technically skilled rapper. So Absolutely. it'd be hard to say like, I rap better than Nicki, like mm, arguable. You know what I mean? <laughs> There's some rappers you'd be like, I rap better than this nigga. Why is this nigga on? But right. it's just like, yo, his uncle is the CEO of like, that's why he's on. Like. Right. You don't got a CEO, Uncle. Relax. You know? <laughs> so there's so many different reasons that people are in the positions that they're in. And honestly, what God has for them is for them. It's not for you. What God has for me ain't for you. What God has for you ain't for me. We can intersect. We can even work together. But my blessings are for me. Mm -hmm. And once I realize, yo, that's for them, you know, because I, you know, we've had even in our, you know, corners of hip hop, there have been people that have ascended. And you'd be like, damn, that, that nigga was just sitting on my couch. Right. You know what I'm saying? You'd be like, wait, hold up. So I just had to grow up. Do I really want what this person's life? Because I've seen some people who I would think that, you know, I should probably be more jealous of, but then I then I know a little bit about them personally. <laughs> I'm like, hell no, nah, I never want to be you. <laughs> like, never. I don't want your problems, you know? I don't want, I don't want to wear that on stage. <laughs> I don't want to fucking sing that song. Why do I want that person's career? Because my career is what I've been building, you right. know what I mean? And if certain, certain things don't happen for me, then they weren't meant to be, mm -hmm. you know? I kind of try to like be on that, on that end. Like that doesn't mean that I don't go for things or I don't have goals and things on my list that I want to like knock off. But I'm a lot more realistic about what I want. And then how to get there, mm -hmm. you know? Because even with you, I was jealous of you for a minute. Well, you know, I was jealous of you for a minute, too. And why? Because... You know, we had the same fucking struggles, Exactly. Bro. <laughs> and, that's, and that's what really the book illuminated for me in so yeah. many ways is that, like, me and you, like, I could be in L.A. and you could be in San Francisco and we literally be having, like, the same experience with mm -hmm. something. But it's just like... We, we weren't talking. Yeah. And yeah. we all tend to feel so isolated in these things. And we're not. We're not. Like, I know you. You <laughs> yeah, know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah. And I have no idea that me and you were going through the same thing. And it's yeah. just like, you know, because with, without the direct conversation, we're just kind of looking at each other's fucking social media and trying to yes. suss out lives from there. And, and, if we, and if I say it don't really look like that, then we have to admit, right. you know, what's going wrong. Mm -hmm. And I think as... You and I have gotten older. We've been able to talk more candidly about Absolutely. those issues, especially even like right now. But like, even like back to what you're saying about enjoying people's work, like you're a fantastic artist, but I can't listen to your albums when they come out because I'm I'm thinking too much. Same here. So I have to wait like months and months Same and then I'll be like, yo, this nigga really spitting. Same you know, here, but I have God. to wait. But it's not just you. It's... But like I, a Kendrick album or there's certain artists where I was like, I can't listen to that shit right now because I'm going to be too busy fucking calculating and analyzing. Yeah, you know? I mean, I, I, I can't tell you how much that is similar to my experience. Like when I just said a second ago how I've had to like 
challenged my thinking on it. It's because like like I have missed like and in the book, this one thing in the book that made me feel like bad is like I have missed entire swaths of your career. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like yeah. like I knew these projects, but I had not really sat with them and given them the attention who like of an artist your caliber deserves. Well, and it's because I've been too fucking close to it. Sure, yeah, no, you know and I get saying? that. Like my mom got my book. She ain't really reading that shit. Right <laughs> I mean, like, that shit still like new as hell on your table. Like, she's like, I read chapter one. I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna know when you start reading it. Cause you go you texting me in the middle of the night. Damn. So like, all right, we we gonna we're gonna bring this to a landing, but that's what what you just touched on right then is is kind of something I wanna unpack a little bit too. You're gonna have an interesting experience with this. How long has this book been out? Like a couple weeks. And uh, yeah, number one on Amazon for like a week, you feel me? Who gives a fuck about Amazon? But when you wake up <laughs> and that shit say number one anything next to your name, oh you gotta, yeah, you niggas, had, niggas had to know. <laughs> niggas had to know. I'm intrigued by this now because you, you make albums. When you make an album and put it out, it take 40, 50 minutes of somebody's time to sit and listen to it. You're going to get feedback relatively quick. So... This thing, it, it took you a long time to write it. It just came out and now it's out in the world. And like, you're going to get feedback and waves of people mm -hmm. who finished this book mm -hmm. at different I times. I just looked at my Twitter and somebody's ranting in my yeah. mentions like, someone said it in the book. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I did say that. So what is, what is that, what is that feeling like? I mean, I guess to, to put a finer point on the question is like, and this is your first time doing this, but how different does this feel this product of your life and your creativity being out in this medium versus like when you put an album out well ask me in six months right but it's like 10 albums hmm. and it took a, two years right like i started writing this in 2019 took me a year to write it and then 2020 all the edits the first edits slowed down because of the panty right and then the uprisings and the boycott happened and then we actually had to renegotiate my book deal so it was an opportunity to stop read it and be like, well, what can I add? And that's when I, when the, the additions and the edits started happening. And I started saying, I'm going to take this out or I'm going to put this in, or this is a very important thing for me to say. That's when it started getting so intense because we've all written those intense songs right. where it's just like, oh my God, it's so cathartic. I may not be able to listen to this, but there were like months where I couldn't like touch it. So it it is a lot. I am looking forward to like the conversations that I'm going to have surrounding it. I think it's going to make me grow as a person and also make me understand myself in a in a different way, you know, because I'm just really just trying to we all can make better raps. I'm right. just trying to live a better life and be a better person. So like my music gets even better. You think you'll write another book? Yeah, I can see myself like I, I like I got a science fiction idea, but you know, I'm not a science fiction writer, so I have to do a lot of like training for that. I want to write a book with my mom about the music that she played in my youth. We'll see, you know. I've always wanted to write a series of essays. Um, I thought that this book was going to start like that, but it just I can, didn't I can see turn. little baby bits of essays yeah, in it, but then yeah, it, yeah. it goes back to But then it's just story. like, well, back to this dumb, <laughs> this dumb shit that I was doing. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think I, I think I got some more books in me. Um, but I know that process. It takes years. Right. Like, I can't sit and be like, I'm, I'm going to write a book. It's going to be out next year. No, it ain't. Like, right. no, it ain't. <laughs> so I guess, you know, there's a sense of rewarding fulfillment that happens when you put a project out. How does this feeling so far compare to the feeling of putting an album out? Um, it's more intense. Hmm. Yeah. Because I got the, like, advanced copies, right? 
and the advanced copies have a huge error in it. Oh wow! And when I got the when I got the advanced copies, I didn't know if it was gonna be the final final edit, and it wasn't. And I got so scared, and I called the publisher. I called everybody. It was like. The final version isn't gonna have this in it, is it? I got freaked out. So it's like the editing process is so out of my hands. Mm. Whereas, like, you know, as a musicians, if you're close to your engineers or your producers, that's one phone Make call. call. Yeah, Make you that know, call. like with a book, it's like, no, nah, the ink has dried, sis. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? On thousands of these things. So, the, you know, making edits are a big deal. So when I got the advanced copy, I got spooked. And then when I got the final copy, I was like elated and like there is just a lot of emotions. Like mm-hmm. cried a couple times, but then like when you when you put out a project too, it's like this is still hip hop, so I have to unlearn some things. Like y'all niggas hate niggas hate on my book, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like one of my homies texted me. He said, he said uh, did, did anybody did anybody message you yet and say I got your little funky ass book? <laughs> like no, nah, but I'm I'm waiting on that one. Like yeah, so yeah, just. Very, very cathartic, but also I'm still a little scared, like because yeah. I like split myself open over and over in this book. So you know, there's a little bit of me being like, "What are people gonna say to me?" You mm-hmm. know, but I'm ready for it. So being being so secretive and being so like trying to be something else or not letting people know I'm queer or whatever, it's like now it's like I said so much that I have no choice but to stand in it, and right. to me that is a great exercise. How about in me it? just being who I am? Like, is there any way, any better way to force yourself to to make better choices and to stand on all your old ones like that mm-hmm. and to lay them bare? I mean, it's 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 amazing. I was holding my breath through some of them. That shit's <laughs> crazy. Some of that shit you went through, I ain't know yeah. about. But you know, I'm super proud of you for the bravery and the the follow through on that sort of idea and like understanding the value of your life enough yeah. to like put it on paper. Thank you for writing it. Um, you know, now I'm going to work up my own courage engine over the next couple of years. I'm sure I'm going oh to be thinking please. about some shit. I'm, yeah. Please. You know, like as I'm telling all, I'm telling all my like rapper writer yeah. friends, like thousand words a day. Damn. Thousand words a day. It's, and it gets easier. Well, there you go. Once again, Song one's ahead of the curve. Hey, something, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Crystal. Thank you. Thank you. I love you. Love you too. Stony Island Audio.